Hi, this is James Shokin, host of Web Comics Reviews and Interviews. Tonight we're talking about diversity. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. There's been a lot said about diversity in comics of late, and it's sort of interesting how that applies to web comics. There's a lot of differences between, well, the printed comics, especially those put out by the big four companies right now, versus how the web comics do it. And that difference is probably well worth noting, especially if you're looking at it from a historical perspective, and definitely if you're looking at it in terms of equal rights. So, we're going to go explore a lot of the history, see how badly the people have got it screwed up, and then see what happens when the internet's hit it. So, this should be a long but interesting evening. So I guess that means we're going to have to start off right off the bat with Wonder Woman and Ebony White. Wonder Woman is sort of a cool character because she pretty much exemplifies the, well, comic book heroine. And then some. I mean, she's been a defining character in women's rights almost since her beginning. And was given a little bit of extra cachet when Gloria Steinem endorsed her back in the way in the 70s and 80s. Ebony White was a sidekick of the spirit. And while eventually the character did develop somewhat, he was originally essentially just a, well, a caricature of blacks at the time. And unfortunately, he sort of, well, set the bar. And it was real low. Um, Wonder Woman is important here because even though she was really strong in her own comic, when she was thrown into other, com into other comics, she usually denigrated to, well, supporting roles. For example, in the Justice Society of America comic, she was usually the secretary of the group. Understandably, this is sort of weird. Um, however, an interesting point here is that, and unfortunately it was carried through out until roughly the 80s, is that both characters were written by white males. And... Unfortunately, white males made up most of the vast majority of the comic book writers and artists for most of the comic book history. Only during the 80s and 90s would that change. However, there are some interesting developments that happened between the two, the two decades. Um, understandably, Evan White got his own little fan following going, just as Wonder Woman got its a major popular character. However, treatment of women in comics was that they were usually considered, well, I hate using Gail Simon's term, but they were basically potential women in refrigerators. The term, in case you're curious, comes from when Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern came home to find out what happened to his girlfriend, and even though she was highly capable on her own, I mean, she was a freaking Green Lantern with her own ridiculous reputation. She nonetheless was found sliced and diced and in a refrigerator. It was pretty much, not only was it the second time it happened, because it also happened with um, Stewart, John Stewart, but it was emblematic of what was really happening with women in comics. That is, generally speaking, they weren't the hero, they were the love interest and therefore the damsel in distress. 
Unfortunately, from a story perspective, it made perfect sense. I mean, you obviously aren't going to be able to kill off the main hero. The sidekick is pretty much off limits because usually they were kids, and even if they weren't kids, they were somebody the hero was putting a lot of investment into. And ideally, he was supposed to take on the hero's role later on. Even though, of course, obviously that never really happened. I mean, case, a couple of cases it did, most notably with Captain America with Bucky and when Winter Soldier eventually took over the role of Captain America. And, of course, uh, various Robins have also been Batman at one point or another in various histories. Um, all of this means that, well... Oh, and you also have this... Supporting cast really didn't matter. I mean, you'd kill off Alfred, and it wouldn't really change the stakes. It would just mean that somebody gotten close to Batman. Really nice once or twice, but there was an obvious limit to how often you'd kill off the butler. Or go after Commissioner Gordon, for that matter. And we've already established that Commissioner Gordon could easily be killed off, or otherwise eliminated from the role, and it wouldn't really matter. Somebody else would just take over the role. I mean, love James Gordon, don't get me wrong, but he's just way too expendable for the purposes of storytelling. So, the problem is, is that obviously you need somebody you can kill it off every so often, do it really reasonable, or at least threaten the person, in order to up the stakes. This is where the love interest came in. And unfortunately, this meant that the... You could tell if somebody's going to die. Well, it was usually the person the hero was dating that was usually end up being the sacrificial victim in this case. So, again, plenty of exceptions. I mean, Lois Lane, for example, uh, sued Dibney for the majority of her career, even though, again, she ended up getting off later on. But the general rule is, is that if there was a woman in the comics and she didn't have superpowers... She was going to either die or something really bad was going to happen to her eventually. So, this course would continue on through the 40s and 50s, and even partially into the 60s. Which is sort of weird when you realize that there were actually genres where the women were actually the heroes. It's just... It got weird. I think the only exception to the women in the refrigerators rule... What are the romances, and even that could be debated to some degree. So, eventually, you'd have the situation where women were actually starting to become characters in and of themselves. In the 60s, the major, when this happens in the 60s, when you see the Marvel actually start coming into their own as an actual, well, studio, um, and evolving from Timely. Specifically, when you actually analyze the first three major supergroups of the 60s, which would have been the Avengers, the X-Men, and the Fantastic Four, you notice that each of the women in those specific groups actually comes out and pl starts playing a major role. Um, Jean Grey of the X-Men obviously was the r romantic interest of most of the group, and if she wasn't a romantic interest... She was the person to be bodyguard, which was sort of funny when you realize that she was probably the most powerful person in the group, and when she became Phoenix, or 
more accurately when she got cloned by Phoenix, she became even more powerful. Sue Richards, while originally a victim of very definite misogynistic attitudes from her husband or boyfriend or whatever he was at the time, Reed obviously started off as a boyfriend and ended up as a husband later on, but was nonetheless treated poorly by Reed. Um, this obviously would change because she is recognized as the mother of the Marvel Universe for a lot of good reasons. Sue is, in a lot of ways, the glue that holds us the Marvel Universe together when you start really looking at things. Even though she's, you know, she's probably evolved the most of pretty much any female character in Marvel. I mean, she's gone from Wallflower, where she was in the first couple of issues, all the way to, arguably, somebody who has no problem putting both Reed and Ben down. So... And when we look at the Avengers, even though the Avengers have always been known for their powerful women, uh, probably nobody stands out more than Janet Van Dyne, aka the Winsome Wasp. Even though she may not seem to be really powerful in terms of a power set, I mean, she can fly to her bioblast and, uh, con well, and control her um, size. Even though she can grow big enough that she can actually challenge Thor in terms of physical might. And she has learned a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat from Captain America. What makes her stand out the most is the fact that she is she's basically the strategic leader of the Avengers. She's been the chairwoman more than anybody else has actually been an actual member of the Avengers. And that includes Captain America, mainly because Captain America hasn't been part of every Avengers grouping, and even then, he's been more of a reserve member than an actual active member, whereas Van Dyne actually has been an active member, and she's also been the person actually put in charge a couple of times. At one point, she was actually even able to finance the Avengers through her own pocket money. So, I mean, at one point, you had a supervillain that was threatening her the a board she was on, and she said, screw it. Let's not, let's, don't worry about it. I'll buy you guys out. The bad guy can focus on me. So, Janet Van Dyne is a pretty scary character when she wants to be. And she actually started demonstrating this in the 60s, especially with what she did with some of the early characters. But, the key here is, the unfortunate thing is that women were still put into a secondary role. Notice how, even though Sue had a lot of power herself, she was still either the girlfriend, the older sister, or the love interest of one of somebody in the group. She wasn't a friend or an ally of those in the group. All the romantic interest in the X-Men revolved around Jean Grey. So again, she wasn't necessarily considered equal by the boys. She was just somebody... Everybody was nice to because they wanted to, well, date her. Unfortunately, that included Professor X, which is sort of an ew. At any rate, and Janet Van Dyne didn't really get into her own until the 70s and 80s. But, the bottom line is that there was a lot of those seeds put out there. Plus, you also had Wonder Woman was also a force throughout the, this era as well.
making it a little bit more interesting, however, was that you also started having starting to see minority characters pop up. I mean, it's, uh, here's where it gets sort of weird. It's as a comic historian, it's a lot easier to track the black characters because a lot of times. Okay, let's back up. Newsboy Legion started in 1942. None of the characters were given proper names until 1988. This is important because one of the characters, Big Words, turns out he was actually a Latino. Except that when he was first drawn, it was pretty much a straight Caucasian male. Yeah, I know, a lot of Latinos look white and all that, but... The problem is that from a visual perspective, it's a lot easier to track the white versus black situation than it is, say, Latinos, um, Chinese, Japanese, and even Native Americans. Don't get me wrong, there were also a lot of Native Americans throughout this as well, because a lot of the Marvel and DC characters came from the old Western comics. And of course, a lot of those Western comics got wrapped up into a lot of the modern comics as well. And so you did have a lot of characters who were half-breeds of various types. It's just that, again, they were just drawn too pale, and even with when Tonto was around, it was hard to very to track a lot of the characters. So, as a historian, I'm going to point out that Black Panther was the first black character, but he was hardly the first minority character. He just tends to get a lot of the press. So, and yeah, there's no way to say that without stepping on somebody's toes. At any rate, Black Panther. This was actually sort of a cool character because unlike a lot of black characters through the ages, he was actually his own man. Reed... Again, going back to the Ebony White, who was pretty much a minstrel character, he, you still had them that were in supporting roles, or they were in, you know, I hate, yeah, they were just simply in subservient roles. They were either employed by one of the white guys, or even if they weren't, they were a totally free person, they were nonetheless dependent, and they weren't really seen on their own ever. I mean, there's just no nice way of putting it. This, of course, would start changing big time in the 70s. When you start having a lot of minority characters become, you know, were actually given a spotlight a lot of the time. I mean, I know there were a lot of DC characters that were coming in that were really cool and ha were able to sort of break the color barrier in a lot of ways. But the one that really did it the most was the X-Men. When the X-Men started being written really hardcore by Chris Claremont, and Claremont, at that point, for some reason or another, decided to point out that the X-Men were essentially the civil rights version in the comics. I mean, they were the best, most obvious visible minority, and it was easy to make a lot of political points using them. So therefore, it was they also tended to be the vanguard, so to speak, of the new, um, the changing of the guard in the comics in their own weird way. I think because of the X-Men, you're starting to see a lot of really cool 
minority characters from a lot of different types. Not only that, but they were also starting to take their own time. I mean, consider who was all in the X-Men at that point. You had a very international cast on purpose. And the one of the characters that basically took off on her own was Storm. You know, who was an Egyptian prince, uh, an Egyptian goddess of sorts. I emphasize the of sorts because her mutant powers gave her control over the storms. And to a lot of the tribes when she was around, that basically made her a goddess. We also noticed characters like Misty Knight, Black Lightning, so on and so forth. Even in the comics-related shows, like, you start seeing a lot more minorities as well. Super Friends, for example, got rid of the predominantly white cast and made it a point to throw in three minorities characters, specifically Apache Chief, Black Vulcan, and Super Samurai. And even the... You even started seeing shows like The Mighty Isis, which featured a actually Egyptian character. At least, it's a, that was another weird one. Just trust me, she was supposed to be Egyptian and it didn't quite gel that way. But at least the attempt was there. Unfortunately, and this would continue up until the 80s, you still saw most of the characters were, or sorry, most of the writers and artists were still white male. In the 80s, of course, this changed hardcore. Of course, in the 80s, you also saw a lot of weirdness going as far as diversity goes as well. You started seeing characters like uh, the Amazing Man show up, who was a black superhero from World War II, show up in the comic Justice Society of America, which was essentially a retelling of the original JSA from World War II, you know, the ones that had Wonder Woman as a secretary? Yeah, those idiots. So there was a lot of retcon as far as that goes. You had retcon in other ways because you had... Um, turns out that there was a Captain America before Captain America, specifically Isaiah Bradley, who was... Well, they were doing a riff on the Tuskegee experiments and had him being a guinea pig, and through him they were able to develop everything to become... to make the next guy Captain America. There were a lot of weird legacy characters, but they didn't get weirder for another couple of decades, and we'll get that to that, trust me. It's horrible. However, you did see a lot of minorities start coming in and start doing the right writing and artists. Um, this, of course, ended up being sort of a plus-minus. On the plus side, we're talking Dwayne McDuffie. Rest in peace. Uh, McDuffie is most noted for coming up with a milestone, and like I said, we'll get there. However, you started seeing a lot of female writers and a lot of other minority writers as well. Most notably, Los Hernandos. Yeah, Los Bros Hernandos. Basically known for Love and Rockets. Incredible comic. If you only go for one trade this year, make it from that collection, and trust me, You'll love it. Unfortunately, a lot of the women were a lot of the women writers were looking at ways of making a political statement more than they were an artistic one. 
word of advice, given the choice between a political statement and an artistic one, never go for the political one. It never works out. A story has to work on the story first. Anything else after that is icing. Suffice to say, because of this, you ended up having a lot of really weird situations when it came to women characters. A lot of the... You had an increase in women in refrigerator mode, which was sort of weird because most of the time it was a woman writing the piece. You also had this really weird situation where you had a lot of women uh, heroes gain their power through some version of sexual assault. So, I mean, it was, yeah. Like you said, don't make a political statement if you have a choice between making an artistic one and a political one. They usually just don't work out. However, in the 90s, what was sort of cool is two thing, major things happened. First off, the internet became a major force. At the same time, remember Milestone? Yeah, they were born. Milestone Comics is arguably one of the best things to ever hit the comics. And has to be mentioned at least once a year. What was really cool is they were trying to establish characters that were owned and created by black artists, as well as other minorities. But the gist of it was as black as possible in order to get rid of a lot of other stereotypes that were running around. Which was really cool because even though Icon, their version of Superman, ended up being taken down by a lot of political stuff. I mean, literally. This guy could not escape a political problem if his life depended on it. And sometimes it actually did. However, you did have the Blood Syndicate, which even though it was apparently just basically a gang war was really cool because it was actually heightened to Shakespearean levels when they basically started ignoring a lot of the get the ghetto stuff to a degree and started making it a straight power struggle between Holocaust and Wise Son. As soon as that happened, the comic just went really well. On top of that, you also had Static, who was, re was really cool because he concentrated more on Static the person rather than Static the hero. This is great because it yeah, emphasized it was really basically static with Peter Parker of the Mi Milestone comic line. Um, really unlucky. He was a teenager, so on and so forth. And like I said, it was really cool that they decided to focus in on his life, his struggles. Yeah, there was the occasional racial or political item in there, but generally speaking, it was done really, really well. Just because it concentrated more on who Static was rather than what he was. And the... Right about here, by the way, is where Gail Simon decided to put in her women in refrigerators. Just in case you're curious about the historical relevance. As far as diversity goes, the other thing that was interesting that happened in the 90s was the Great Whitening. If you pay attention to TV and movies, you'll notice that around 93-94, a lot of the TV shows decided to go white for some reason. The reason was is that behind the scenes, the NAACP 
had threatened to boycott most of the TV if they could. If they, well, basically they wanted to have each black character who was in front of the screen be represented by a white, by, sorry, by a writer in the background. So you'd have to have a black writer to back a black character. And while a lot of the other organizations of similar ilk decided to join in, so anytime you had a minority, you'd have to have a corresponding minority behind the camera as well. Well, the various studios decided to, you know, start looking for people, and unfortunately they weren't able to find any. Or more actually, they weren't able to find enough to make everybody happy. So, the bad news is, is that they decided to go along with the NAACP threat, and they just simply didn't have a whole lot of black characters in the next season. Or for that matter, a lot of the minorities. Somebody say this has changed in minorities on TV represents the general population now, but it was not a happy situation then. However, the good part about all this was that a lot of the studios also put in, or actually created workshops and other means to encourage minority writers as well as female writers. Uh, Disney is probably the most notable for doing so. Um, this also happened in the comic books as well to a certain degree. And you'll actually notice that there is a slight rise in the number of minority and female writers from about that point on. Well, making it just a little bit more interesting was what was going on with the internet. But don't worry, we'll get there. In mainline co mainstream comics, the only other major development as far as diversity was the way too many diversity characters. The problem is, is that you had two types of diversity hires in this situation. You had those that had developed over time and, you know, somebody had come up with this really cool idea, was looking for a place to put it, and then all of a sudden found a way to get the character in. Uh, Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, is probably the best example of this because she's a really great character. She's arguably the first Muslim female mainstream character and she works on a lot of levels. But that's because she was developed whole cloth and even though she does have the touchstone back to Captain Marvel, or more accurately, the Danvers model, she is her own character. That is, even though she's based her morality on what she observed from Captain Marvel, she did nonetheless develop a lot of her own. In fact, she even earned uh, being allowed to be called Miss Marvel from Danvers herself, which was just a really nice little touch. So, that's one character. Um, you, other, fortunately, you had way too many that were, were well, suits intervention. Literally. Guy in suits said, hey, we need to develop some diverse characters. So they started developing these really lame, bland, the legacy characters. You know, let's take a superhero, have him retire, but replace him with a black hero or a female character or a Hispanic, or sorry, a Latino lesbian. You know, it's just, some of the characters ended up working. 
Batwoman ended up working really, really well. In fact, she's going to have her own CW show here, apparently here next uh, year. So that's going to be impressive in and of itself. However, some majority of them didn't really take hold too well. This is just one of those really weird situations where if you take a white door and you paint it brown, you know it's still basically a door. I mean, you know it's basically still a white door. It's just been well-painted brown. And the characters just weren't really well-developed. The obvious problem with this is that, well, you throw a fanboy of a meaty character, he's going to love the character. Unfortunately, if you do the stupid thing of throwing the fanboy a character who's a really bad clone of an established character, it's just not going to work out as well as it sounds. It's just, you're going to have a hungry fanboy, and a hungry fanboy is a really bad to deal with. Suffice to say, you had a lot of really lame Legacy characters, fanboys weren't get, getting their fix. They had to take it out of someone. So what happened? So, unfortunately, because of this combination, that and the Milestone getting nailed, apparently there was just something about a sales issue with Milestone, but I'm willing to bet there was probably something else going on behind the scenes on that one. Yeah, it's one of the few conspiracy theories I actually subscribe to. Go figure. Um, we're sort of now into a really bad hiring problem. Basically, you've got a lot this really bad situation where minorities and women don't really submit their stuff to the big companies because they don't think they're going to get hired. Ironically, you've got the big companies are specifically looking for those diversity types because, well, everybody's getting tired of the same couple of voices, you know? So, keep in mind, that's where the comics are now. This, however, let's talk about webcomics for a bit. You basically have this really weird situation with um, webcomics that's entirely different than, well, regular comics because... We don't care about who comes in. We only care about if the comic is actually pretty good. Because of this, you've got individuals like Daniel Crescetto of Girls with Slingshots, which is arguably the eminent girl comic. Yeah, that's how she described it. It works. Um... I mean, you basically have everybody's represented here. You want black people? Cool. Let me introduce you to Keith Knight. Track down his comic. It's incredible. You'll laugh every time. What's better, though, is that Keith is able to occasionally mix in that little bit of a political edge, and it actually works, which is really funny because he's doing a four, uh, what appears to be a four-panel comic strip. So go figure. There's a reason I like these guys. But, the basic gist is that our numbers are sort of well turned around. 
In webcomics, just over half the comic strips, for example, are written primarily by women, as well as mostly art. the art's also done by the women as well. Um, we have a really strong minority presence, so on and so forth. It's just sort of interesting that you've got all these various people that are working together to create a comic, or more accurately, to create their own comics, but because you've got so many of them going, you end up having a lot more diverse voice than you do in mainstream comics. You know, like, that's sort of a dust edge. So you've got this really cool situation where people aren't being judged by what they are. That is, your how your pipes are aligned doesn't matter. Your beliefs don't really matter unless they get a little too out there. You know, when we start talking webcomics, that's actually a major feat. I mean, that's just impressive if it actually happened. When it's, Wait, let me phrase that. When it happens, because it does happen quite a bit. As long as you're producing a product that actually is really cool and works, you can do anything you want to. I mean, there's a philosophy-based comic strip that uses stick figures. Instead of like these really ultra-realistic or even cartoony types, they don't even bother. It's all stick figures. There's a reason you'll see XKCD mentioned a whole lot by a lot of people, and that's why. It shouldn't work as a comic. It's philosophy. It's dick figures. And yet, it works really, really well. Flip side, you've got stuff like Tales of Zillia by Amy Letts, where you've got really incredibly detailed, really realistic fantasy figures. I mean, it's just, you've got some incredible stuff going on there. I mean, you've got people using watercolors. Don't mention this, but I've actually used... Um, Done after it with uh, charcoal sticks. Yeah, I can't draw, but I tried. The key here is that you've got a lot of people doing a lot of really weird stuff, and it doesn't matter if they're gay, straight, lesbian, male, female, transvestite, uh, sorry, transsexual. Um, it doesn't matter if they're white, black, or polka dotted. You're not judged by what you're by who what you are. You're judged by who you are. That is, you're judged by what people see you, you've done, your comics, your blogging, so forth. And this has created some really interesting situations online because you've got people that have done some incredible, incredible stuff. And it's just fun to see what everybody's doing to poke around and. Just, just, you know, it's sort of like you're put into a museum where every wing is on its own separate little drug or its own little belief, and you're trying to poke around and just see what everybody's done. And you can see some really incredible stuff. I mean, it literally runs the gamut from the really silly to the really serious, and all of this works. So... I'm not really sure. It's just sort of weird when you start comparing the web comics to the the printed comics, or well, it's not quite accurate anymore because of Comicsology and other groups. But the key here is that you've got all these really cool web comics written by all these weird people, and none of them seem to care about really what's going on in the mainstream comics. I mean, even when you have superheroes going around. You know, it's just entirely different than 
the mainstream. So, I think the important point here is that you've got all these really strong, really weird ideas, really cool ideas, and you're poking around and seeing what everybody's doing, and you're sometimes you're shocked, you're dismayed, but on the other hand, you're completely amazed and astounded by how strong all these different voices can be when you start looking at them as a river rather than individual little pebbles and fish, you know what I mean? And so you've got all these really strong voices combined, and you've got, it just creates this really cool artistic vibe. You've got people that are asking for help getting a lot of it when they ask for it. I mean, there's just some things you can't fix, but if people can offer advice and point them in the right direction, it's happening. Um, and they're doing this regardless of what the person they're helping is. It's just... Eh, it's almost like there's more of a meritocracy than it is anything else. I really don't know how to describe it. But it's something that's really cool and really it needs to be really more explored by the mainstream comics. The only problem is I don't know how to get a lot of these... The problem is you need to take a lot of these people who are doing stuff online and throw them at Marvel and DC just to see what would happen. I'm really not sure Marvel and DC would know what to do. But it'd be fun to watch. I mean, it's just... It's just weird when you actually see real diversity going after it and then you all of a sudden see a really bad situation as far as it goes, and you're not really sure how to fix it. I mean, I've actually been getting into some interesting fights as far as what's going on with Marvel and DC, because it looks like nobody's submitting uh, portfolios to them anymore. In fact, they're usually going for the, the independent route, which is sort of nice to see through options like Kickstarter, um, the web comics, and even, you know, to what we used to call vanity presses. People are self-publishing a ridiculous amount nowadays. And it's just sort of fun to see it. And then compare how really cool, really awesome some of these side projects are compared to what Marvel and DC are doing. This isn't to knock Marvel and DC. They're working under their own constraints and they're still... And even though a lot of this stuff is pretty much what you'd expect from a corporation... Uh, there is a whole lot of vanilla stuff going on. There's still some really good stuff out there. And if we start playing around with printing processes and really seeing what the technology can do, Marvel and DC are actually doing some really cool stuff, as well as Dark Horse and IDW and, well, a few other places. Overall, Marvel and DC aren't doing that bad. They could just be doing a whole lot better. And I think they need to, instead of having people submit to them, actually go out of their way and re start recruiting some of these people. We need to seriously get some of these people offline. And I mean that in a good sense. I mean, there's people I want to see get offline, but I'm not sure if that's... I think that's in their own best interest. Um... However, there are some people that would work really well with Marvel and DC. In fact... There, people actually do want to work with Marvel and DC. It's just they've got this perception that since Marvel and DC don't have a whole lot of women and minorities in their bullpens, obviously they're not hiring. And that's not exactly the case. The only reason they're not hiring is because they're not getting a lot of submission, submissions from white minority people. Obviously, 
So if you're hearing this and you want to work for Marvel and DC and you're a minority or female character, just start throwing their sh your submission at them and make sure they're high quality. Don't just throw stuff that you think works good. Because trust me, the one thing I'm really starting to dislike are people who do the whole, I've got this really cool webcomic. I mean, they've got, they actually do have an incredibly great webcomic. Art is in awesome. I mean, we're talking Alex Toss type stuff. And then when they submit to a comic company, all of a sudden they start bringing out the really simple boring stuff. So I think that's also a part of it. People are just underestimating what the big companies want and so it's toning it down rather than toning it up. So I'm not sure what's going on there, but if you're a minority and you're a woman, I can't emphasize this enough. Submit. Try something. Just ignore what you've been told and just go for it and see what happens. Trust me, it's a digital thing. We're talking, you've got the files lying around. You can throw stuff at Marvel and DC all day long. Just pick your top ten and put them into a file and throw them and see what happens. And obviously, I'm not neglecting the other tops. I'm just pointing out that Marvel and DC tend to get a lot of the line of share of criticism. I'm sure it has absolutely nothing to do with both of them are trying to establish themselves as movie people right now. And pretty much nobody else is. But, it's just interesting to look at the history of comics in general because you've gone from a situation where everything involved in the comics was essentially white male. The heroes, the villains, even the people behind the scenes, to a situation where we're starting to see a lot of the comics are being written by women, by blacks, by Japanese. I mean, well, okay, obviously Japanese are a heavy influence in this situation. Because um, manga is definitely something to be a force to be reckoned in and of itself. But you've also got a lot of Latino voices are starting to be heard. I really wish I'd see a lot more Native Americans. If you're a Native American person and you're hearing this, contact me. We can obviously do lunch. But, it's just, we're starting to see a lot more diversity behind the scenes. And I'd really like to see a lot more. Especially from, especially from the really big uh, publishing houses. So, I guess what, if I guess I have to sum this up, it's going to come down to three points. One, if you want to do comics, you're going to do comics. It doesn't matter who, what you are, just do them. Trust me, there's a way you can get the word out. If you want to do, if you want to keep it to something that's on your computer at home or on your pad at home and nobody else sees it, hey, so be it. But if you want to get the word out that you're doing something really, really cool, you can do it. And you'll find everybody is going to support you on this. I mean, unless you to totally screwed up, but, you know, that happens. Just sit back, relax, and try again. You know, it's just... Don't give up. And if somebody tells you that black women don't do comics, give them a basic uh, two-letter response involving a middle finger. And do it. Just do it anyway. Screw them. If you want to do it, there's nothing preventing you except yourself. If you believe that other people, what other people are telling you when you can't do it, at that point, you're letting them get to you. Ignore them. 
If you see an obstacle, it is not your job to basically go, hey, really cool obstacle, here's where I stop. No. You go over that obstacle. You go around that obstacle. You go through that obstacle. If you need to, blow the bloody thing up. But deal with the obstacle and go on to the next problem. Also, point two, Marvel, DC, start looking at these people. Please. They've got some really great stuff going on. You might want to look into it if you aren't already. DC tried, gave up. Marvel, your turn. Guys. And three, just do comics. If people say you can't, screw them. Do them anyway. So, I mean, there's no way. If you need help, hey, hit me up on Facebook. I'm more than willing to help. So, well, that's it. That's all I've got to say for now. Have a good evening, and I'll talk to you later.